Hey y'all, welcome back to Native Soil. We continue to reflect upon the poor in our midst on our native soil and how the Lord is calling us to respond to them, to, to even give a preferential option for them as our Catholic social teaching asks of us. And particularly as we've heard Anthony Tobin, as we've heard Jim Backus, in particular the past couple of weeks, talk about the ministry that the Lord got them into through their life experience, through kind of where the Lord put them and some of the things that the Lord put kind of in front of them. I could not help but share about one of my favorite books of all time, which really connects in a very specific way to our area, and that is Tattoos on the Heart. Here it is. It's Tattoos on the Heart. It's by a Jesuit priest named Father Greg Boyle, subtitle, The Power of Boundless Compassion. And um, I came across this book when I was assigned at Christ the King here in Daphne. I distinctly remember reading it. It's one of those just watershed kind of reads that kind of changes you. It changes the way you see things. It changes the way you think about things. But I wanted to kind of give you the basic premise of it. And uh, part of the book, he actually uh, visits our area, uh, reference that, and then give us some food for thought as we kind of continue our reflection on the poor here on our native soil. So um, the kind of the premise for this book is it's really memoirs from Father Boyle and the many years that he has spent ministering um, in L.A. He starts off the book telling you that really as a young Jesuit, he was really kind of slated to work at Santa Clara University overseeing like student services. He had a Ph.D. in English and was much more kind of tracked for um, university work. But he had an experience in Bolivia. He was assigned to Bolivia for a mission for just a year. And he talks a lot about how the poor in Bolivia evangelized him. How ministering to the poor, you know, making that preferential time, that option for them, it changed him. And it would change the trajectory, really, of his whole life. And so instead of going to Santa Clara, um, he requested, you know, have a different mission. And he wound up at the Dolores Mission in L.A., and an area which is the most densely populated area in the world with gangs. When he arrived there, there were eight active gangs, seven Latino, one African-American. Uh, the demographics have changed now so that now it's almost 99.9% Latino in that area. And showing up there, really, the book is really the memoir, his memoirs of trying to minister to the people in that area. And one of the things that he noticed was that um, there was kind of a broken cycle there. You know, young men would grow up without fathers, um, looking for uh, that figure in their life, looking for someone to lead them, to be like. They grow up without fathers. They would join a gang looking for a father figure. They would do something stupid. They would get thrown in jail. They would come out of jail and then nobody would want to hire them because they were in a gang, they were in jail, and now they have tattoos on them which mark them for gangs, which mark them for um, just unsavory things, should we say, and you know, they couldn't get a job. And so, you know, he had he had tried all these different things. He had tried to kind of campaign with members of the church to go to businesses and try to get them to hire. Um, you know, these, these people coming out of jail, but long story, he kind of comes to the point where he realizes the only way that these men are going to have a future is if somehow they find a way to give these guys jobs. 
And uh, before they kind of came to that realization, one of the things they started doing as their church was, you know, they just started, even though they were in a very rough neighborhood, the church was kind of insulated from that. They were kind of afraid of, you know, all these kind of unsavory people, of the homeless, of just the problems. But um, Father Greg and everyone kind of started to know him as Father G or G, um, started to get out in the community. He started celebrating mass at like every prison and every juvenile delinquent center, um, wherever he could and everywhere he would go, he would hand out his card and just say, Hey, just come by the church and see me. You know, we'll try to help you. Um, uh, but as his first starts getting going, um, they, they started letting their church be a place for the homeless in the evening. So they would let, you know, homeless people come and like sleep in their church. And because of that, it started to smell really bad. And the church ladies were really kind of resistant. You had all these kind of like uh, Latina church ladies, and they were like upset that their church was starting to smell bad and they were having to share this space. And one day, Father Greg writes about this kind of seminal moment where he addresses the issue at Mass in a homily. And he's he basically says, you know, okay, everybody, as you all know, uh, our church smells really bad. He's like, why does our church smell really bad? And somebody raised his hand and was like, because homeless people are living here. And he's like, that, that's right. And somebody else raised his hand, they all smell like urine. <laughs> and he's like, that's right. Sometimes they do. And he says, and why are we letting homeless people sleep in our church at night? And he said, it's got deathly quiet. And he said, it was one of those moments that could have gone either way. It was like the, the, everything was hanging the balance. And, and one of the kind of one of the matriarchs, one of the, the main kind of Latina church ladies was like, because that's what Jesus would want. And just in a moment, somehow there's conversion. Everyone's like, Viva Jesus. You know, and that kind of broke it open spiritually for this totally new way of kind of looking at their mission as a church. Okay, this is what Jesus would want. Jesus would want us to have a preferential option for the poor. Jesus would want us to allow the messiness of the poor to come and intersect with the life of our church. And so that opened the door to a whole new way of kind of going about their church life. Um, So that kind of brings to that other insight he had. Okay, at some point we got to give these guys jobs. So one of the first things they developed was they bought a bakery and they had ex-gang members from like rival gangs working next to each other like making cupcakes and there was just all this healing and all of this growth that started to happen but the more they got into it the more they realized okay we can't just give them a job we need to like surround them with a community of people who will love them who will check on them who will mentor them we need to offer them counseling You know, we need to have like AA, we need to have NA, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous, like a lot of people are coming out of jail, you know, they have all these different needs. And as they started to do this, it was interesting, the LAPD was really upset at first because their mentality was the way you deal with gangs is you get tough on them, you crack down. And so they had had all these campaigns kind of like lock them up or like bust them up or, you know, one strike and you're out kind of thing. And so as they saw what Father Greg and his ministry was doing, they were very upset. They said, you know, y'all are being too soft. Y'all are enabling these people. Y'all are, you know, making the situation worse. And even the point where they would like threaten what they were doing and say, you know, y'all need to shut this down. But they just kind of persevered, started figuring out through the help of the Holy Spirit more and more kind of how to do this. 
And eventually the LAPD would kind of come, not only come alongside, but adopt really their approach to the poor, to, you know, ex gangs, uh, people, you know, how to rehabilitate them, how to reintroduce them into society. Um, there's a lot of heartache along the way. You know, you got to, I'm going to let you read the book for yourself. I mean, it's one of the few books, uh, that I've ever read that I have laughed out loud and cried, um, very substantially, you know, just in reading, you know, these stories because for every kind of success story, there's, there's an equally tragic tragedy, you know, that he had to experience, you know, in, in trying to reach the poor, which points kind of to the messiness of it all. Um, one of the aspects of tattoos, kind of the, there's a different meaning there, but all these people were, um, had different tattoos. And that was one of the issues of trying to reintegrate these guys into the workforce and into, you know, society was they had tattoos that made it very hard for them to get a job. And the real moment that father Greg knew he needed to do something was he was sitting across from this one guy. And in his lowest moment, like right across his forehead, had tattooed the phrase F the world, you know, F-U-C-K the world. And he kind of humorously says, you know, I'm just imagining this guy working at McDonald's asking a mom and her child, like if they want fries with that and just being, <laughs> her mom just pulling their child so afraid. So this light went on in his mind that if this guy doesn't have this tattoo removed, then he has no future. So that's when they started looking into getting their first tattoo removal machine and having doctors volunteer their time to do that. And now um, the the ministry that he started, it's called Homeboy Ministries. Um, that ministry is sponsors more tattoo removals than any other entity in the world because most everybody who comes across, there's some tattoo that needs to be erased, whether it's something crude or something demonic or something just vulgar something that ties them to a gang, but so many people need to have these tattoos removed so they can move on. And, um, but just one of the many wonderful examples that you don't realize the needs of the poor until you spend enough time with the poor to realize what their needs are. And his whole story is, um, just a, a series of stories like that, where, getting involved in the messiness of their lives and responding the best you can through the grace of the Holy spirit, through the gifts of, you know, the people in the body of Christ. So, you know, they started with this one cafe, they had homeboy cafe, then they had home girl cafe and they started doing t-shirts and all different kinds of industries. And all these are called like a social enterprise, which is a whole new kind of discipline. You can get a degree. In fact, my little sister got a degree in social enterprise from American university um, but basically it's this whole project of how do we create like win-win scenarios, even in the business world. So the homeboy bakery is, is just an easy example of, okay, you, you're the win-win is, okay. You have these people just getting out of jail who need a job. They get a job, they're being rehabilitated, but also you're making money, making cupcakes and, you know, providing, you know, um, revenue in that kind of a way and then supporting kind of into the whole ministry. So kind of how do you create these kind of win-win scenarios in which there's kind of a social conscious to the business of, okay, you're making a profit, you're making a living, but you're also really improving the lives of people around you. So because of what Father Greg has done, he, he's invited many times uh, all around the country for speaking engagements. And 
what he loves to do is he loves to bring a couple of homies, as he calls, you know, these guys involved with them, you know, these ex-gang members who are now involved in his ministry or been rehabilitated in one way or another. And he loves to go to places and kind of tell his story that he tells in the book of how the Lord evangelized him through the poor and, and set him in this whole new trajectory to, you know, live out the gospel as a priest and a Jesuit. And he'll always bring a couple of homies with him, you know, these big, tough, muscular, tattooed guys to kind of give witness to this reality of, of transformation, you know, that that's happening. And so one of those stories he tells in the book, it's at the end of chapter three, it's a chapter, uh, this called compassion happens here in mobile. He came to give a talk at spring Hill college. And afterwards there was somebody who had a social enterprise in Pritchard and had invited to kind of show him around the area and show him his social enterprise. And so they spent a couple hours that afternoon walking around Pritchard, seeing the area with Father Greg and his two homies. And Father Greg um, talked about, as he walked through Pritchard, he said, you know, this is the poorest place that I'd ever seen in North America. Um, he said, I was, I was shocked. Like all of us were just like wide-eyed walking around this area. And he said, at the end of the day, they were back in their hotel room and one of the homies he noticed was just kind of leaning in the doorway and was crying. And he kind of noticed this and he said, Hey, you know, buddy, what's, what's going on? And, um, the guy kind of pulled himself together some and he said, you know, I was just thinking about walking around in Pritchard, you know, and, um, I've just never seen anything like that. And he, and then he kind of paused and thought about it for a minute. He said, how do we let people live like this? And then he paused a little bit more and he said, you know, I don't know what's happening to me, G, but um, for the first time I'm starting to feel compassion for what other people are suffering. I distinctly remember reading that in the rectory of Christ the King and Daphne and just being like struck to the core of thinking about the fact that here are two ex-gang members, people who like called the shots in their neighborhoods who were like the toughest of the toughs. They lived in this very poor, very violence-ridden area of LA. They come to our city and tour, you know, one of our worst neighborhoods and are so impacted by it that they are brought to tears wondering how can we let people live like this? And that those words have, have really uh, haunted me in some ways or uh, maybe inspired at the same time since then. And I share it uh, with all of us as we kind of consider the poor on our native soil is are we willing to open our hearts to react, to open our eyes, to see the world around us with this kind of clarity and to have that same conclusion? How can we let people live like this? These are our neighbors. These are our brothers and sisters. And how might God be calling us to be evangelized by the poor, to interface more with the poor, and to be open to how they are going to change our hearts and change the trajectory of our lives to be able to make a preferential option of love for them based on who we are and what the Lord has supplied us with. So 
it's just um, worth thinking about. I mean, the Lord, this book, I, you know, I encourage everyone read this book and let it speak to you. But the whole idea of compassion itself, it's a word that comes from two Latin words, cum and passio, to suffer with. Just like that homie was saying, you know, the Lord was doing something in his heart here in Mobile, here in Pritchard, even as he toured around, where he gave him the chance to suffer with those people, to have a real concern for those people that he was in proximity to. That's what our Blessed Mother does so much. On the foot, at the foot of the cross, she stood there. She did not practically change the situation of Jesus, but she was there with him, suffering with him kind of this perfect image of what compassion looks like. But being in that moment, being willing to like stand at the foot of the cross with other people crucified today, suffering today, it puts us in a position where we allow our hearts to be affected by their condition. And then in God's time, he's going to show us how he's asking us to make a gift of ourselves. Think back to St. Damien of Malachi. You know, this is my body broken for you. When we receive the Eucharist, when we reflect on the lives of the saints, we're taking the broken body and blood of Jesus into our lives and giving him permission to use us to break our bodies, break our blood, offer out for those in our city on our native soil. So um, some some more food for thought as we go into this, as we continue the series on the poor. And uh, just to maybe pray kind of with that idea of compassion. How can we suffer with more courageously the people on our native soil? And how can we be evangelized by the poor on our native soil and then be open to the ways in which God is going to animate us as we, as their problems, as their real needs start to crystallize before us, to be open to the creative impulse of the Holy Spirit. They're going to use us, our friends, our resources, the people that he puts in our path to help really, um, you know, make the poor in our midst more and more a priority. So, Let's ask the Blessed Mother to help us. She gives us that perfect witness of compassion, of, of being able to suffer with Jesus, and then to be impelled you know, to go and take care of the needs of the church in her own way. And so let us close with a prayer to her. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And through her powerful intercession, Mother of God, bless you, bless our native soil, and all those listening, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless y'all. Look forward to having you back here with us as always on Native Soil. <laughs>